You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Last week we started a new series called Believe, and, and this is an exciting time for me because uh, the Gospel of John is my favorite book, so it's very exciting. Uh, the first 18 verses are commonly known as the prologue of the Gospel of John, and it's important for many, many reasons. Uh, first, the prologue sets the tone, it sets the trajectory of the entire Gospel. You know, uh, if you were in, in college or in high school at one point, you would have to write a, a book review, right? You read a book, and then you write a paper on it. Well, uh, when I first went into seminary, and this, uh, this was a couple years back, um, so, and a lot of my assignments were book reviews, and I, I just hated book reviews because uh, in my undergrad, I was a science major, so I never had to write a book review. I wrote uh, lab reports and took tests, but never had to write a book review. So um, I'm a slow reader uh, to begin with, and I'm also one of those care careful readers. I have like different colors of highlighters, and I, I, I have a ruler too, just in case I don't mess up. I, I want to make sure that the, un the underline is very straight. Uh, I, I use a, a 0.7 uh, so that you know, I can write notes in, in, in my book too. I'm a careful reader. And not only that, um, Sometimes, you know, I would take, uh, you know, just dwell upon some of the information that I, have, uh, that I would read. So it takes a long time for me to read an entire book to begin with. And now I don't have any idea, any clue to how to write book reviews. So it was a struggle in the beginning. So I, I went to the writing center and asked some questions. So how do you write a book review? I never wrote an official, you know, a, a, a official book review before. So how do you write a book review? And the, the person gave me different tips, but basically what he said was, you know, a good book review, um, if you want to write a good book review, you have to pay attention to the introduction of the book. You know, and that was really something new for me because I always thought the meat of the book was, you know, in the body of the book, right? You know, if I go to the preface or the introduction, I was like, okay, this is like kind of the same old stuff. So I just kind of glanced over it and then I'll dive right into chapter one. But he told me that, well, if, if that writer is a good writer and if it's a good book, uh, in the introduction, they would always give you kind of a landscape of the entire book. They would, the author would state um, the purpose of the book and what he's trying to address within the book. So it's very important to kind of tackle the introduction of the book. And the same is true with the Gospel of John. It is a massive book. But at the same time, we have this great introduction that kind of leads us into the book that gives us guidance and direction. No, not only that, um, this prologue is one of the most richest passages that, that kind of give us, a, uh, that give us details about Jesus. You know, there are four major uh, Christological passages in the New Testament. Uh, we find one in John 1. There's also one in Hebrews 1, uh, Colossians 1, and then Philippians chapter 2. I mean, other places, we see Jesus all over the place. But these specific passages, really, uh, you can't miss him, right? It, it give you such a detail, a rich view of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So that's kind of the introductory to this prologue. And so the question today is this, who is Jesus? And why does he matter to you? 
Now, last week, we went through the first five verses of this prologue, and from there, we made a couple observations. We said that Jesus is God. No, he is not just someone who was created by God. He's not someone who just came out of nowhere, but he is God. No, the opening verse of the prologue says, In the beginning was the Word. And just think about that. Before there was a beginning was the Word. Jesus was before there was even a beginning. No, not only that, we see that this Word is God. So Jesus is God. Uh, And not only that, Jesus made it all. No, not only is God uh, the Father, a creator, but Jesus, he, everything is created through Jesus. And in him is life and light. So, so we made some of these key observations about Jesus, and that's where we pick up. You know, Jesus is eternal. He is God. He made it all. And in him is life and light. Do you agree with that? Amen. But here's a tough question then. If he is light and his light shines on men, why isn't it obvious to all people? You know, why are there some people who have difficulty uh, accepting Christ? You know, why is it hard for my grandmother to accept Christ? Why is it hard for my coworker to come to church? Why is it hard for my husband or wife or, or uh, my friend to understand who Jesus is? If it's quite obvious that Jesus is God and that everything is made through him. If, uh, like what we said last week, if every being or every person has a made in Jesus sticker on them, why is it not obvious to the world? If Jesus is the light of men, why don't we see that light? You know, in verse 6, 7, and 8, we are introduced to this guy named John, and he's John the Baptist. He's not the Apostle John who is writing this book, but he's John the Baptist. He's the guy who gave baptism to many people. He's the guy who many people followed. He had this message. He said, repent. And he simply was a messenger of God. And this is what it says in verse 7. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist, he's not the light. But in verse 9, we say the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So we see John the Baptist is simply a messenger. The true light is actually Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes into the world. Jesus is the one who shines light to everyone. And that's my first point. Jesus is the true light. He's not just a light. He is the true light. He's the real deal. That word true means genuine, authentic. He is the absolute um, of, of light. He is the ultimate light. There is no question. Jesus is the true light, which again begs the question, if Jesus is the true light, why isn't it obvious? I mean, you know, this is kind of a bad timing, but let's say the sun is out there, right? And I take one of you guys out um, into the sun, and I say, hey, there's light. And you would answer, man, that's obvious. No one says, you know, okay, wow, there's light. If I turn off uh, the light here and then I, I turn it back on, I mean, it's quite obvious. I don't have to tell you that there is light. It's obvious that, that, that life exists. Right? Uh, so if Jesus gives light to everyone, if he is actually the light that shines upon the world, wouldn't it be obvious for everyone to see? Well, you see, it's obvious for a lot of us, but there's a group of people that need guidance, that need assistance, that do not recognize that there's actually light, and that is the group of the blind people. No, if you are blind, or if you have really thick sunglasses, maybe, <laughs> it's hard to notice that there is light. 
you know, what we take for granted is not, you know, obvious for other people. So why does this world have such a hard time accepting Jesus? We see that it's not because of Jesus. You know, the scripture makes it very clear that Jesus is the true light. There's nothing wrong with Jesus, which means there's something wrong with us. You know, and that's my second point. It says we are heavily and help, helplessly darkened by sin. Although Jesus is the true light, we are heavily and helplessly darkened by sea. Uh, by sin. No, if you have your Bible open, go to verse 10, and this is what it says. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And we kind of saw that before. Yet, the world did not know him. So Jesus comes into this world, and the cre- his creation does not, re- uh, does not recognize the creator. No, Jesus comes to mankind, and the mankind does not recognize its maker. You know, Jesus is not this light bulb that comes in and out. He is the true light. He is always shining. No, the problem is that we, as people, as sinful people, are spiritually blind. That is the issue. You know, this is kind of explained in verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and even his own people did not receive him. No, this kind of shows us this the problem of this world. Even his very own people. And back then, it was the Jews. It was the covenantal people, the people who actually had specific revelation, right? They had the law of Moses. They had instructions about God, but yet they did not recognize nor receive Jesus. You know, it's one thing to be ignored by people in general. It's another thing to be ignored by your very own. You know, I, I have my son, Timothy, and there are times when, you know, and he would go to, if he's in a good mood, he would go to different people, Right? And then, oh, and then he, he starts crying. And then, okay, I'm like, okay, then, now it's time for Daddy to, to, to save the day. And I go to him, and I hold him, and I was like, hey, Timothy, Daddy's here. And he cries even louder, right? And, and, and that hurts. I mean, if it was any other child, I'll be like, okay, okay. I mean, you know, maybe he needs someone else. But because he's my own son, he's my very own, it hurts. It hurts when you are rejected by your very own um, Child, child or person. So now we see that Jesus not only was ignored in general, but he was ignored by his very own people. This just shows the depth of darkness that exists in our world. You know, when you hit the streets and you share about Jesus and you get rejected, uh, don't be surprised because that is the reality. When you kind of go to a family gathering and, and you talk to your family members and, and they're like, oh, I don't want to hear this, don't be surprised because that's what the Bible says. People reject Jesus because they are heavily and helplessly darkened by sin. But here's the good news. The good news is that there are some people who receive Jesus. It says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, so we see that there are some people who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here we see that uh, the, uh, the Bible is stating that we, by nature, we are not children of God. No, we are made by God, but by nature, we are not children of God. Ephesians 2, 3 says that by nature, we were children of wrath. You and me, when we come into this world, we, are, we don't come in this world as children of God because we inherit this, this uh, sinful nature. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, Your father is the devil. Do you know that? And you want to do what your father desires. No, we have this tendency, we have this desire to, to commit sin. You and I are not born as children of God. You and I are reborn as children of God. 
you know, you and I are actually adopted through the true Son, who is Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Romans 8. It doesn't matter if you are part of his creation. It doesn't matter if you are actually his very own people like the Jews. Verse 12 says the only way that you can be saved, the only way that you can have an assurance of your salvation, the only way that you can be adopted to this divine family, the only way that you can call God Abba Father, by the way, that's something that we don't think about a lot of times, is if you receive Jesus and if you believe Jesus. Verse 12 says that to those who receive him and believe in him, he gives them the right to become children of God. How mind-blowing is that? Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's my third point. You know, we live in a world where Jesus is the true light, but that true light is not recognized because we are heavily and um, helplessly blinded by sin, yet we see that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Only those who properly respond to Jesus, instead of ignoring him, instead of rejecting, rejecting him, instead of not recognizing him, those who respond to him in the proper way, those people become the children of God. And by the way, this is not a work done by us, but is, it is an amazing work of God. And verse 13 says, because this is not by blood, meaning it's not inherited through um, a race, it's not inherited through a specific family member or ethnical background. It also says it's not by the will of flesh, meaning it's not by desire or emotion. You don't become a child of God through desires or emotion. It also says nor of the will of man, meaning it's not through human effort or human logic. But what does it say at the end of verse 13? It's of God. The only way that you can become a child of God is by God's grace. And God's grace gives you an opportunity to respond in obedience, in belief. Jesus is the true light. We are heavily and helplessly darkened by sin. But the good news is that Jesus is the only way to salvation, which leads me to my fourth point. Jesus, Jesus is God's final and ultimate revelation. Jesus is God's final and ultimate revelation. You know, in John chapter 1, John begins his gospel by introducing Jesus not as the Lamb of God, not as the temple of God, not as the Lion of Judah, not as the Son of Man or the descendant of David. The phrase that he uses is he is the Word. Out of all the different nicknames and all the different descriptions that he could have used, he uses the specific word, the Word. That's Jesus. You know, he is the Logos. That's in the Greek. You know, and that's where we get uh, our English word logic. Jesus is the logic of, logic of God. You know, he is the spoken word of God. Okay, so uh, I, my very first job was at CVS. I was a high schooler, and I didn't really know much. Uh, I was a cashier. And so I was just standing all day, uh, just, you know, ringing people up. And it's quite interesting what you can think uh, while you're like you're a cashier. You see uh, people, you see how they dress, you see their hairstyle, you see how they conduct themselves. And I, and I say, okay, that person is probably like maybe a doctor, that person maybe a teacher. Okay, that person definitely a minor, right? You, you make all these different judgments. Uh, and I would say a lot of times I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at reading people. But there are definitely times when I'm completely off, right? Uh, I mean, I can make assumptions, I can make guesses, but there are certain times when I'm completely off. And how do I know that I'm off? Well, I know it when I have a conversation with that person, 
when I have a conversation, I ask, you know, uh, so what do you do for a living? And that person might, you know, respond. If, if it's a frequent, you know, uh, customer, you know, I might ask, you know, oh, do you go to school around here? And then I can get more information about that person. What I'm trying to say is we can make different judgments and inquire different information through our different senses, but speech is the most basic yet clearest way that you can obtain accurate information. Why does John say that Jesus is the word? He's basically saying that it doesn't get any clearer than Jesus. Now, do you want to know God? It doesn't get any clearer than Jesus. Speech is the most basic yet clearest way of, of communication. No, uh, my wife and I, we attended the same uh, college, but not at the same time. And a lot of people don't know that. So uh, I would say I'm, I'm from UT Texas. You know, my wife would say uh, she's from UT Texas. And then uh, people will hear our story and they'll say, oh, did you guys, you know, fall in love when you guys were in, in, in college? And say, oh, no, 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 no. No, uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know my wife back then. That's, that's what I would say. Well, I knew her brother. We, we, we went to school at the same time, so I knew her brother. And I actually knew that that brother had a sister. So I knew that my wife exists. And, my, and that, that guy actually showed me a picture. And he's like, oh, this is my sister. And I was like, oh, that, that's nice. I never knew that that was going to be my future wife. <laughs> so, but if someone asked me, okay, do you, do you and his, uh, his brother's, uh, her brother's name is Jason, do you, know, uh, uh, do you know Jason's sister? And I would say, no, I don't know her. I know about her. I know that she exists. I don't know about her. But when I went to seminary and I saw her for the first time, I didn't know actually she was uh, Jason's younger sister. Uh, and she introduced herself to me. I introduced myself and we had a conversation face to face. From that point on, I could confidently say that I know that girl. I know that woman, right? When we have a conversation with someone, that's the moment where we confidently say, I know that person. Right, when speech is communicated, I mean, before that, you, can, you see a lot of strangers on the streets, but until you have a conversation with that person, you will never say that, okay, I know that person. You might say, I know about that person. What I'm trying to say is, unless you encounter Jesus, the word, you just know about God. You don't know him in a relational way. You know, this is crazy. The fact that Jesus is the word and through him that we can have this personal, intimate relationship with God. No, the word of God is the self-expression of God. Jesus is not simply a messenger that brings the message of God. He is God himself. He is the final word. No, if we know Jesus, we can confidently say that we know God. And it gets even better. In verse 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when Jesus was up there in his internal form, we could not comprehend his majesty. We could not understand uh, how glorious he is. So what does Jesus do? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, did, he didn't just come for a visit. He dwelt. He tabernacled among us. He made a home here. When we were blind in our sin, when we were heavily and helplessly darkened by sin, the eternal word of God, the self-expression of God himself became flesh and dwelt among us so that you and I who are in darkness can see the light. No, just try to grasp that for, the, for, for a second. No, the sinless one enters into a sinful world. The perfect one enters into an imperfect and broken world. 
and the immortal one enters into this world to become killable. You know, Jesus lays down everything. You know, his, his divine nature, he lays it down voluntarily. So what? So that you and I can see the life that is in him. You know, so that you and I who are blind in our sins might see God. You know, I want to remind you that when it says, you know, in verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. A lot of times when we think about glory, I mean, uh, it's, it's very shallow. But in the Old Testament, glory is something that's really heavy. It's something that you don't mess around with. You know, in the Old Testament, whether it was in the tent of meeting, whether it was in the tabernacle, whether it was in the temple, God made sure there was always a veil between him and his people. And it's not because he had something to hide from his people. Why was there a veil? Well, it's because, you know, if we encountered God in our sinful form, we would die instantly. When you enter into the holy presence of God in a sinful form, you're basically saying, I can stand on the sun and not burn to death. You know, that's impossible. You know, God is not trying to hide something from us. He's trying to protect us. In the Old Testament, God's glory was concealed not only that, we see the great prophet Moses, you know, when he makes intercedes on behalf of, of the people of Israel, and he says, God, you know, show me your glory. Do you remember how God answered Moses? He said this, you know, God says this to Moses, Moses, I know I love you, I will forgive the people of Israel because of you. you know, I will make sure all my goodness passes before you. I will make sure my name is proclaimed before you. I will be gracious to you. I will show mercy to you. But there's one thing that I cannot do, and that is I cannot have you see my face. I cannot have you see my glory. So what I'm going to do is you're going to turn around, I'm going to cover you, and you're going to see the last shadow of my glory. No, the glory of God was covered in the Old Testament. It was concealed. God is holy. There's no way that we can enter into his presence within our sin. But in verse 14, this glory that was concealed in the Old Testament, this glory that was unapproachable, is now revealed. How crazy is that? Through Jesus, we can see that glory. We can see things that Moses was not able to see. Jesus is the final revelation. He is the ultimate revelation of God. You know, God saw that mankind being blind with sin was helpless and hopeless. You no, know, he saw that if he didn't take initiative, that, that we would just simply die in our sins. So what does he do? He sees humanity, he sees the sinful form that we are in, and he decides to enter into this world as the eternal word. He became flesh, he dwelt among us. And it says in today's passage, it says, you and I receive grace upon grace from his fullness because of Jesus. John ends his prologue by saying this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has made God known. Jesus is the true light. We are helplessly and hopelessly bounded and blinded by sin. Jesus is the only way to salvation, and the way that he leads us to salvation is by being the ultimate the final revelation. Have you ever wondered why we don't have any more books apart from this Bible? You know, why doesn't God kind of give us an update? Right? As computers, they have updates. Uh, 
right? If we have new technology, we have to, uh, it's kind of, you know, tedious, right? Every time there's two new technology, we have to make an update. Why doesn't he upgrade this? I mean, by the way, he doesn't talk about technology these days. He doesn't talk about smartphones these days. He do, he, I mean, it would be better if he can give some detailed instructions about um, certain things that we see uh, right now in our culture that did not exist uh, before. Why doesn't he give us an update? Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that before he made himself known, he proclaimed through the prophets, but now in these last days, he speaks through his son, Jesus. You know why we don't have an update? Because Jesus is the final revelation of God. Everything that you need to know about God is revealed in the person and the work of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? You know, maybe this is not new information to you, but... Number one, this means that we should be extremely in love with Jesus. This means that we should love the fact that God is so patient. This, this, this should increase our affections for Jesus. Because when we read this, a lot of times we say, okay, yeah, the people outside, uh, the people outside of the church, those are the people who re- rejected Jesus. Those are the people who are blind. I am a child of God, right? Uh, no, actually, you were those people who rejected God. You were those people who ignored him. Yet, for some reason, out of his grace, God sent his son, Jesus, and for some reason, it made sense to you. And now, you are no longer a child, child, a child of wrath. You are, you are a child of God. No longer are you doomed to, to die, but you can now have eternal life. And when we walk in darkness, when we lived under the dominion of darkness, God didn't just give up on us. He didn't say, okay, no, I'll just forget about those people and, and start again. No, he pursued after us. And in Colossians 1, it says that he transferred us from the dominion of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. This passage today, more than anything, should increase our affection for Jesus. Number two, it means that we have to make a decision. And we see that there are different ways to respond to the true light. Some people ignore it. Some people reject it. But those who receive him, those who believe him, believe in him, they become the children of God. It's when you respond to this amazing grace, that's when you actually get to have all the rights to, to, that, that is given to a child. So respond to him, make a decision. This cries out for a response, not just a one-time decision, but a response in our life. You know, this should tell us that we can trust Jesus and we can follow him with everything that we have. And lastly, it means when we have issues in our life, when we have questions about God, you know, we can look at the person and the work of Jesus and that should be enough. You know, a lot of times when we have depression, we seek a counselor. Uh, we, when we have trouble, we might go to a friend. Well, we go for, to people who are experts, right? We love receiving counseling. And I never thought about this before, but when I was kind of preparing for the sermon, I came across to um, uh, a message that uh, Pastor Tim Keller shared, and he shared something really interesting. The fact that Jesus became flesh, that means that Jesus knows how we feel. He, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that he was tempted in every way. You know, when you go for counseling, you probably look for two criteria. Number one, whether or not that person actually has good knowledge. You would never go for counseling to like a five-year-old, right? I mean, that person can have very good intentions, uh, uh, intentions but and that child does not have the proper knowledge to, to solve all your problems. 
But number two, you can go, and maybe you have experienced these type of people. They have all the right stuff to say. They know it. You know, they have PhDs. They have, are experts in that field. But they never experience it, it themselves. And they, they can give you the right answer, but they have no idea what you feel. And you know, the best counselor is someone that knows all and can really uh, also know what you are going through, can feel you, feel your pain, right? Why is Jesus called the wonderful counselor? It's because not only does he have all the knowledge, but he knows how we think. He knows what it's like to be rejected by people. He knows what it feels like to be tempted by sin. He knows what it means to, to be betrayed by people. He knows what it means to have setbacks in lives. And not only that, you might say, well, uh, I just hate God. I, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of mad at God. I'm angry at God. I was rejected by God. You know, Jesus knows that feeling as well. He himself was rejected. And that, 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 isn't that crazy that we have a God who's not distant yet? He should be distant, but he's not distant. He's untouchable yet. He made himself available to us so that we can seek his face anytime we want. And yet, a lot of times, we don't take advantage of that. We have the best counselor that we have. But yet, we go off to this world and seek for other professional counselings. Well, I want to introduce to you a very professional counselor, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the final revelation and ultimate revelation of God. There is no one above Jesus. He is the final word. So whatever problem you're going through, whatever baggage you might have, would you go to him today? Amen? As we kind of prepare our hearts and respond to the message, I think this passage can be applied in various ways. If you have followed Jesus before, but now you're kind of in that phase where you're no longer in love, you don't feel the love, you, your passion for Jesus is no longer there, just concentrating on the person of Jesus and the work that he has done for us. The fact that he came into this world that was so dark, and that he, he shined his light upon us so that we can receive life. That in itself is worth praising for the rest of our lives. So maybe if that is you, this, hopefully this, this message will stir up your affections for Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you have not yet made a decision to follow him. And I'm telling you, you can ignore him, you can reject him, you can run as much as you want. But God is coming after you. He's shining his light upon all people. And the question is, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to believe in him? And are you willing to respond to him? And lastly, if you have any issues today and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, would you make a commitment to concentrate on the character, on the life, on the wisdom of Jesus? He knows everything. He knows everything. Not only does he know all the answers, he knows how you feel. You know, even your best friend, even my spouse, I mean, they know a lot, but no one knows me like Jesus. And no one has all the answers like Jesus. So today, would you seek his face? Would you trust in him and go to him? Let's pray.